to give you a review of where we started last week, and I want to make sure you follow me as I define for you what definitions are. If you have the wrong definitions, you will have the wrong results. This, this study is to clarify what a principle is in comparison to a practice. Last time I talked to you about the importance of understanding that a principle is a law, a rule, a biblical standard, a law of gravity. That's the principle. What goes up must come down. There are, there, are, there are certain things that are absolute. Killing is wrong. Lying is wrong. Those are principles. Uh, church is a uh, gathering together in church is a, is a principle. Don't forsake, the Bible said, the assembling of yourselves together. We should gather. But the, how we practice that is different. So principle and practice can be different. And if you define something as a principle when it's really a practice, it's a, it's a preference, it's a choice, uh, you can really get confused and can get off track. So you want to make sure you have the right definitions. And so that's what this study is about. There are four areas that we're going to cover in the study. One is, um, we covered last week, it was called church, redefining church, giving the right definition to church. And we talked about how people in defining church confuse principle and practice. They confuse the two. And so they think some things in church are absolute. You got to meet on Sunday. You got to meet at 9 or 11. You got to do certain things. And we are absolutely committed to one idea that you have to do it the way the Pentecostals do it or the Baptists do it. But those are practices. Those are not principles. So don't get confused. Don't get, don't get lost. And don't get so distracted. Now, I want you to be clear that this is important. So I hear you, Cynthia. Cynthia says, why is it so low? We're going to turn it up for you, Cynthia, if it's low. We see you. We got you. We're going to turn that up so you can make sure you can hear me. But I want you to be really clear. It's important for you to understand principle, okay, and practice. Come on, say it with me, please. Come on, say principle, principle. and practice. practice. You folks here, you can say it. Come on, say principle, principle. and practice. practice. It's not just the folks online. You're here, too. Say amen if you're here. Amen. amen. Good. So principle and practice is really important. If you get that wrong, you'll end up in trouble. And we talked about that a lot last week. Today, I'm going to talk about something people don't like to talk about in church. Cash. Today, I almost didn't want to name it this, but I thought, ah, do what you want to do. Here's what we're going to talk about today. The right definitions are redefining cash and debt. Can you say what you please? Say redefining, redefining. Cash, cash and debt. Okay. Now, I am... Uh, surprised at how religious people really want you to give cash. They want you to give in offerings. They want to build buildings. They want to do youth things. They have all these ideas. All of those things require cash. All of it does. But they don't want to talk about it. They want to pretend that that's not necessary. That somehow, if you're just spiritual, if you're just kind of, you know, sincere, you love God, It'll just kind of come together. And so they'll say a church is not a business. And, you know, this is about spiritual work. I, I get it. OK, I, I get I get that assumption. But in reality, these lights cost. You'd be surprised what these cameras cost. Thousands of dollars. All this stuff costs money. It's nothing. Nothing in here is free. All this costs a lot. Millions of dollars, as a matter of fact, to be honest with you. And so understand that you need to have a, the right definition for money for cash. And I, I specifically say cash. I don't want to just talk about prosperity. I'll mention that. I want you to know I'm talking about C-A-S-H, underlined in red. 
And I want to talk about debt. I had an interesting story that something happened this week, a few weeks, a couple weeks ago. I was with my grandbaby. And she came in the room and she said, Pop, Pop, I need some money. I said, you need some money? She said, yes, I, I need some money. I said, uh, for what, Milani? She said, well, she said, I want to buy something. And I need some money. And I don't know whether Diane put her up to it. I don't know how she came in there with this. But she came in there with this request for money. And I said, well, how do you know I have any cash? And she's with her friend. You and her friend were there. And she said, well, she said, uh, I seen you with a card. And you can buy things with the card. I said, well, baby, I said, that's not cash. That is, you can buy with it. And so she was really adamant, you know, that you could buy. So I said, well, let me show you. So I took out my, 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 one of my cards, and I gave it to her. And um, now I'm going to say this. Now just hold on. Don't just buckle your seatbelt. How many want me to tell you the truth? Tell you the truth? Raise your hand. I want truth. The whole truth, number of truth. Here's what happened. Here's the truth. Okay. So I took out $100 bill, and I gave it to my, my grandbaby. See, I told you, make you nervous. Gave, gave her $100. Then I gave it to a friend, too. Gave my friend. So I gave two, they had $200 bills. And I said, now that's cash, and that is credit. So they said, whoa, wow. I said, see, now let me show you how it works. So I, I pulled up on my, on my, my um, um, credit card. I had American Express. I pulled it up on, on my app. And they know how to work apps. You know, they're real techie. So I said, well, you tell me, you tell me, how much does it say I owe on this card? She said, and her friend, you know, who's a little older, she said, $760. I said, that's a lot of money. She said, yeah, you owe $760. So I said, okay. Now, Milani, I gave her, and I said, now, what we're going to do, we're going to pay this. We're going to pay it off. You're going to pay it? I said, I'm going to pay it off. <laughs> I'm going to pay it off. So she took it. I said, hit this, hit that, hit this, and then say, pay. She pushed it. She pushed it. Then I gave it to a friend. I said, what did it say? It says zero. You owe nothing now. I said, ah, see? I said, now look, all these charges, you see? On the little vacations, you know, they cost money. You know, on the little vacations you go on. See, we was, was out to have partying and fun and our little vacation. And so, when, and so I said, see, that's when we went to the, when the, I get the ice cream. You see that right there? That's when we bought, that's when we bought the pizza. You see that right there? And then, so I showed them how to, so every time you use the card, you got to pay. He said, ooh, that's a lot. Then, watch this. Then they said, they said, well, they say, I said, now, if it was cash, you wouldn't have to pay it back. But when you use the card, that's a debt. I wanted to redefine in her mind cash and credit. Now, here's what happened. We're in the car. The reason she came in the room because she wanted to go on a special trip, you see. She wanted to go on a trip. And so when she went on this trip, I mean, went to the mall, rather. So she was in the car. She said, Pop, Pop, I still don't know how much money I'm going to get to go to buy what she wanted to buy. I said, well, you got to ask grandmama, and, and grandmama's going to set the budget. Well, I still don't know what the budget is. So, so she said, you know what? Remember that $100 you had? You can let that be the budget. <laughs> I said, no, no, it's $30. You're going to get $30, and that's your, <laughs> Diane said the budget, $30. That's it. Now, I never tell you all that, but I said that to give you a feeling. In that moment, I wanted to give her a sense of the difference. And I knew that I had to paint a picture that these two little girls could grab a hold to. So I asked them, what's the best way to pay? They say, cash. Because you got to pay back what you charge. 
And so the, the, the problem with a lot of my life, throughout my life, has been having the wrong definitions for this. I don't define, I have not at times properly defined cash. And I think churches sometimes, because they're, they're sincere, they mean well. But they, they're so worried about being greedy that they don't have the right view of, of prosperity, cash, resources. And as a matter of fact, I believe we, are, we think too low. I think our mindset, and Regina Albright, I know you know about this, right? Mm-hmm, talking to you. You know, you know how, how people can get the wrong definition in their mind about what success looks like. They can think it's one way, and it's really another way. It's really easy for you to think this is okay until the bill comes. And then you wake up one day and realize you were thinking too low. Say that with me. Say, thinking too low. Say it again. Come on, say, thinking too low. Now, I want to show you a few verses in the Bible that will help shape your definitions. There's four verses. And I'm just going to cover four areas, and then I'm going to jump on some questions in a little bit here. But four areas that I think are interesting and that help you think this thing through. And the Bible is full of it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says more about money and business and investment and life than it does about salvation or heaven. Because God wanted to communicate in a way that people could relate. And these were people who were living every day to try to make it. They were going to the market every day. They were growing stuff in their fields. They were, their, one of their major goals in life was just to survive. It's a very tough life. And so Jesus used analogies that they could relate to. Sowing and reaping was a business discussion. You planted and you reap. They understood that. They understood the idea of, of having, a, having a sheep because that was a marketing issue. These were people who, they sold their sheep. They used it for food. They understood the power of it. This, so these are people who understood agriculture, produce, marketing, sales. So Jesus spoke to them in a language they could understand. And so I want you to notice four areas, four things that, 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 uh, to consider when you redefine what looking at cash and debt. When you look at those two things, there are four things I want you to think about. Repeat them with me, please. Say freedom, freedom. co-signing, co <laughs> well, let's say diligent exhaustion, diligent and self-motivation. Now, let me, let me describe for you what all of these things mean. Now, we can talk about this from all kinds of angles. I mean, generally, though, when you're in church and you talk about money or cash, when you talk about this whole topic, they're trying to redefine your attitude towards giving to them. That's not my goal today. I will talk a little bit about that just briefly, but my main goal is not to talk about I have a hook in, this, in the message. It's not, it's not, I will talk about it in a minute, just briefly, because it fits into the context in a minute. But most conversations in church, most of it is tied to me convincing you to give money. And the definition of success for me is I convince you to give more money so we can build more stuff, do more stuff. Now, I'm not, I'm going to play down offerings. I'm going to say that it's wrong to receive an offering. I'm not saying it because it's not wrong. But I want to be clear about something. If my only definition of leadership for you is to get you to give money to us to, so that we can fund this, I think I've not done my job. 
My job is to help you have the right definition so you can be okay in your life. And I think if you're okay in your life, we'll be okay in ours here. But if you're not okay, if you have a bunch of members who have the wrong definitions, and some of you can relate to this, you got family members who have the wrong definitions of finances, and they're always having to come to you because of the way they define money. So if you want, your, if you want to have a prosperous life, you get the people in your family to have the right definitions, and your goal as a parent is to raise them up with the right definitions. You got to work, you got to save, you, you know, you want to teach them those, what cash is, what debt is. You want to teach them that so they have the right definitions, they'll make the right choices and have the right results. Well, when you break that down, you have to say, well, let's talk about this area of cash and debt. And then, so what I'm doing today is I'm, thinking, I'm picking four areas. I could have picked four more, but I'm picking four areas to cover just to take you into what the scripture says about it so you can maybe redefine a few things in your life. So follow me along, and then the questions will pick up another part of that in just a minute. So first of all, we'll talk about freedom. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. He's, it talks about the rich, the poor, and the borrower. The rich, the poor, and the borrower. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule, that, that's just a statement that he makes to say, let me set the stage, let me let you be clear. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. In our country, we have become accustomed to being the borrower and the poor. We have become accustomed to that. It is part of our culture. And what's interesting is you think some sermons on faith and prosperity would get us out of that, but it really doesn't work that way because it's not dealing with the real issue. Because if in my conversation with you, my ultimate goal is to get you to give, I want to tell you something about being rich, and my goal is to get you to give to me so I can be richer, then I, we missed the whole point. It's the whole point. It's the whole point. Especially if you're talking to people who are oriented to be poor. They're oriented to be borrowers. It is part of their culture. They think that advancement is getting a credit card with a lower interest rate. That's what they think success is. Success is having the ability to borrow something. I agree, it's great to have a great credit score. I got a great one. It's nice to be able to get what you want when you want to get it. But let me just say this to you. It, is, it, is not, it has not always been in the, in the American psyche to borrow everything. They, it's, it's, years ago, you waited, saved for it, and paid for it. But that's foreign to us. We have been nurtured in a culture that's abusive. It convinced us that the best thing to do is to borrow. But here's what the Bible says. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant. There's a servant dynamic to all of it. Our church has managed its debt well. We have done well. We have a really good, we spent about 8% on mortgage debt. We bought a bunch of property, got a couple of million dollars in debt, and we're going to pay it off. And our goal, we're in the midst of a process now to do that. And part of what's interesting is, there is a servant element to that. You've got to report to them, and you've got to give them financials. And you, there's a servant element to that. That's why we're getting rid of it. There's a servant element to it. Even though we got, the, you know, if it's 8% or 8 10% of our income goes on that, so that's a good, don't you wish it was 8 10%? That's a good number, right? Don't have any other debt. But what's interesting is anything that you borrow, 
there's that element. And that's the first thing I want you to understand. Freedom comes when there's no servant element. And that should be your goal. I want every member to think of that and dream of that. My goal is to not be a borrower. It's to not be, it's to not be a servant. I'm not, are you against all debt? No. Are you against mortgage debt? No. Are you against, if you need to get a car, you can't walk, you're not the French snows, you need to, oh, you're gonna ride a bike, you need to get a car. But I am against unnecessarily piling yourself up with more and more and more debt. Because the Bible says the rich rule over the poor. And the poor, you see, I end up in debt and they become a servant to the lender. And in many cases in the Bible days, they became such a slave to debt, they would put them in debtor's prison. Or many times they would, be, they would literally take their children and sell them, or they take their children to pay their debt. Some of you say, if that were the case, all my children would have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> so that's the first thing I'm gonna tell you. Everybody say freedom, freedom, there you go. Second thing, co-signing. Now, I just picked this one because this is interesting. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1 says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledges for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Now, co-signing is simple. I've done it before. Well, you, 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 if you got kids, you did it. You know, we, we, I know. I, I, I understand how that works. And I also understand that, notice the thing he says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1 uh, through 3. He says, I want you to work to be free. Notice the goal. The goal is to get you to a place where you don't have that obligation. Again, notice the goal. It's all about freedom. Everybody say freedom. Freedom. Third thing we talk, he talks about is something called diligent, I call it diligent exhaustion. This is interesting. And this is interesting because it's in Proverbs chapter 6. Go to the ant, go to the point of exhaustion, he says, and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep. I'm sorry, this is yeah, Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, go to the point of exhaustion, and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep in your eyes, no slumber into your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Notice what he says. If you are in a financial place where you are in trouble, your job should be to work to get out of it. Not to just work. I don't believe in overtime just for overtime's sake. But work with a purpose. Your goal should be to work. I love this. Diligent exhaustion. Give it all you've got. Give it all you've got to get free. That's the goal. What is the goal? To get what? Free. free. What is the goal again? To do what? Free. To get free. To get free. That's your goal. Your goal is to get free. That is a state of life that will help you in your service in your walk with, with God in, your, in, in every area of your life. Notice that the scripture encourages freedom. The world encourages bondage. I listen to these commercials and I laugh because they're all telling me to obligate myself. Everybody wants a piece of my pie. 
Everybody wants me to have a monthly subscription. Everybody wants me to give on a monthly basis. Everybody wants to be a part of, part of, part of my life. And I understand that there are things I should obligate myself to. I'm obligated to feeding hungry children every week, every month. You know why? My little girl came in, Christina came in to me. One time she watched a little program on television and she came in to me and she, had, she watched the Hungry Children program uh, commercial and she wrote down the number. And then she came and you know what she told me? She came and she told me, she said, well, well, daddy, you need to do something about this. And she gave me that little piece of paper and she walked away. And I said, wow. So I, I have an obligation now. I, I probably got about three, four children. I, I just felt that part of my resources, part of my wealth, part of my should be, if I'm not going to be in debt, I need to give to this. I hope you have somebody. I hope, I hope you're feeding a hungry kid somewhere in the world today. You know, you can do it for $35 a month. You got to have one child at least. At least one child. I don't even know all the names, but I know I'm feeding them. But I tell you one thing, my wife, she got their names up. She got them all, you know, she got her own children, you know. And I think that's important. I lost my screen. I can't see my people. I don't know what happened to them. Hope y'all still there. I see you. I love you. But anyway, I can't see your name, but I know you're still watching. But anyway, back, back to this. There is something simple. There's something easy that I think the Bible says happens when you are free. And here's the last one. So we talked about uh, freedom. That's the main goal, co-signing. And then diligent exhaustion, work hard to be free. And then lastly, I love this. He says, be self-motivated. Here's what he said, verse 7. It has no commander. The ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie uh, will, will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and, and scarcity like an armed man. Notice that in the description of Proverbs 6, he talks about the importance of being, of being careful what you obligate yourself to do with people. He talks about the danger of you um, not being diligent to the point of exhaustion. You got to work really hard. You can't be lazy. And then he talks about the importance of being self-motivated. The ant has no overseer. It has nobody that is looking over it saying, store up and save. Let me tell you one of the greatest things you can ever learn to do. Be self-motivated, self-driven, self-pushed. You have to push yourself. If you don't push yourself, it, there's something about getting up and understanding this is my life. This is my decision. This is my future. And if I don't plan it, nothing's going to happen. There is an assumption that Christians make that is dangerous. Uh, they assume that God is going to do it for them. And that they don't <clears throat> excuse me, have to do anything. All they have to do, <clears throat> excuse me, is just hope for it. You ever had that thought? Mm. I'm preaching myself dry. <clears throat> you ever had that thought in your life? The thought that you can just pray and God will fix your throat? No, you got to drink some water. <clears throat> <laughs> you can fake it and you can just stand up here and choke or you can drink. See, fixed it. <clears throat> Living illustration. If you're ever going to change something, <clears throat> you have to do something about it. If you don't do it, <clears throat> nothing's going to change. It's not 
going to happen because you're sincere. It's not going to happen because you pray. It's not going to happen. Nothing's going to change. You're not going to lose weight because you pray. You're not going to pray one pound off. You're not going to pray one pound off. You're not going to fix one issue. Nothing in your life is going to change. Nothing in your life is going to change. Nothing. And those of you at home know what I'm talking about. Margaret, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's right. I see you, Margaret. I see you. Michael, you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing that's going to change. All of you in here, you know nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. If you want your life to change, you have to decide. And I've, I've learned that in college. I've learned that in my academic life. One page at a time. One assignment at a time. One hour at a time. Sometimes one minute at a time. <laughs> I mean, it's, when you got those long assignments in front of you, big papers, you just say, okay, it's 12 pages. It's 15 pages. It's 30 pages. One page, one step at a time. And that's how you get there. And if you, if you don't do it that way, you won't succeed. But you've got to be self-motivated. You've got to drive yourself. Now, I want to specifically, for a minute, give you three reasons why I think Christians struggle with cash and debt. Three reasons. Now, these three reasons are fascinating to me. And, and I think this, after years and years of serving Christ, I, this is what I've come to. Number one, confusing theology. The way we talk to people about money and cash and business confuses them. Give you a verse to confuse these people. You ready? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And that's confusing to people. See, it's not about money, right? I understand. So it, it, I, I watch people in business. I'm just, I'm just, I'm selling this coffee for God. I just, when the people come in here ministering to them about God, and I'm not worrying about how much coffee I'm selling, you are going to be out of business. You are headed to be out of business. I hate when people come work for me, come to do work for me or a vendor or somebody, and they get caught up in what I do. Oh, I just, I hate that. Just, I don't like it. Just, I just like you. You can tell me you like me one time. You tell me you watch me one time. That's good. All that's fine. I'm clear. Okay. Now, we, now can you paint? That is why you are here to fix the law. I don't need to. I don't need anybody who just wants to talk about what I do. I'm, I'm appreciative, but I want to see you paint well. Finish on time at the price you told me. That's what I want. My grass cut. I want my grass to look good. I don't want you coming here. I'm glad Jesus is Lord and all that, but I want my grass cut. So there, there's, <laughs> there's something about this inability to focus on the main thing. So we think the love of money, that's what gets us, is in trouble. You, you know, don't, don't love it. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you, this is where you'll tell a lie if you ain't careful. Whenever you get paid, and it's a real good paycheck. Tell me you ain't happy. Tell me you don't go, thank you, Jesus. When you look on there and you see they doubled your check because they gave you a bonus and they decided to give you an extra paycheck, you know what you say? Thank you, Jesus. See, and are you loving money? In that moment, I'm loving what they did. And I, I, I think we're confused. This is about greed. This is not about a person who had a big payday and they're happy about it. 
And this is not about a person who wants a big payday. This is not saying don't, don't be that way. This is not a calling for you to somehow uh, dismiss the value and the good feeling of prospering. The Bible said, be fruitful. And he wants you to, as he told Adam, multiply as the baby part. Fruitful is the other stuff. Take care of the garden, grow the fruit. He wanted him to have both experiences. Jesus said, I come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. I, I just think God's not against stuff. He's not, if he was, he wouldn't have described heaven the way he did. He could have described his wooden streets, you know, with some broken down, broken down crowns on it or whatever. But he didn't. He said, let me show you something fabulous. He's not against fabulous. He's not against nice. He's not against you having a big dream. And I think when you use this text and you, have, and you communicate what I call confusing theology, you raise up people who are afraid of prospering. And they develop what I call prosperity guilt. And then you tease people who prosper. Oh, here come money. Oh, here come. <laughs> so, so people just, they, they, they really are afraid. I mean, they really are almost ashamed. And one of the ways they can shame you as a Christian is say, see, he's all about money. He talked about money the whole night. I sure did. The whole night. Next week, I'll talk about worship. Maybe tune in there. But I'm telling you right now, it's really sad for anybody to think that God is against money. God is not against money. God is not against you having cash. I'll tell you what he is against, you being burdened in debt. He's against you being a slave and being unable to be free. He's against you looking at your paycheck and not having enough to make ends meet. I believe he's against that. But that will never change if you just pray. That gets me to the next point I want to make. Why I think Christians struggle with cash and debt. Number one. Number two, naive optimism. Say that with me, please. Come on. Naive optimism. You know what that means? You are naive. You're optimistic, but you are being naive. You think because I pray and have faith, no weapon formed against my finances will prosper. That's what you think. No, that's not how that works. If you're not like the ant in Proverbs 6 I just read, who saves and who stores up, you're not going to do well. I am stunned at how naive I have been in my life. I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at me. I'm surprised that I, I just didn't, um, I didn't see it. I thought giving all my money away was God's will. Every time you get paid, if you're not paying yourself, you're, make, you're doing yourself a disservice. And you're doing your future a disservice. Because the future does come. And let me just get off that and say something else. This came to me today. I had, a matter of fact, a few, few, about an hour ago, I thought about this. You ever heard people say, oh, if I knew what I know now, 20 years ago, boy, I could be someplace amazing. You ever heard that, right? Here's my question. Why don't you do it now? You got all this wisdom. How long you had it? For a year? I'm just saying, I mean, you know, we do this all the time, right? We spend the last three years, we've been saying, oh, if I only knew. Now, what I knew, if I only knew it then. Well, okay, you, you had three years of this knowledge. You ain't a millionaire yet. Can tell what's the problem? Could it be that it's not as easy as you think? Could it be you're being naive about how easy it is? You go back and we beat it, we throw rocks in our past all the time. Blame ourselves, blame ourselves, blame ourselves. Guilt and condemnation. Oh, I wish you, oh. But you know, the reason why you made a bad business deal because making good business deals is tough. 
The reason why you spent the money is because you spent the money. You didn't know or because you, you were naive or because whatever. You, but that's part of growing. Building cash and getting out of debt is hard. And getting in is easy. Sometimes, boy, getting out can be a real challenge. And then, you know, you find yourself in these places and you sit there and you, you, you grovel over what you could have been. Listen, forget all that. Be it now. I could have owned 20 pieces of real estate. Buy one now. Well, I can't buy it now because of what I did before. So here's what you do. You beat yourself up in the past. You stand here now in the present and beat yourself up in the past. Always talking about what you didn't do. Spend your whole life dwelling on that. And I'll tell you what that does. It robs you of the present joy in your life. It robs you of the present gifts in your life. It robs you of what you have accomplished in your life. You spend too much time thinking about the past. Start with the cash you have today. Well, I once had, don't I, you don't have that. What you have right now is what you have. Can I get an amen? Here's the last one. Ready? Let me do questions. Here's the third reason why I think Christians specifically have trouble. Number one, because of confusing theology. Number two, because of naive optimism. And number three, because they have no financial plan or strategy. If I ask you what's your plan or strategy and you can't tell me, if I ask you where is it written, I, I believe in writing it down. If, you don't, if it's not written, it's not real, not in your head. I plan to save this much. This is what my goals are. This is what I'm, how I'm going to pay off the debt or whatever. What's your plan? If you don't have a strategy or plan, you're not really going to have the success you want. That's something you've got to decide. So the question is, what are you going to do with this? How you, can you redefine your financial goals using this as an example? Can you take what I talked about today and say to yourself, okay, I, I, I'm going to start with putting a plan together. And the plan is real simple. Save money. There you go. That's it. That's first. Let's <laughs> write that down. It's like, just put one or two things down. Don't get deep. Uh, <clears throat> pay down debt. That's the second goal. <clears throat> then you pick a debt. I'm going to pay off the popsicle man. Stop charging popsicles. Every time I go to the popsicle store, I'm charging the popsicle. I'm going to pay cash for my popsicles. And when you walk in the next time, the popsicle man will be confused. You don't want to charge it? No, I'm charging you 20% interest. That's okay. I'm going to pay cash today. No more 20% interest popsicles. You know, you just say, I'm going to stop charging this. I had one guy, he, was, he had 10 gas cards. How about once in your life, go to the gas station and pay cash for gas. Maybe you can pay, maybe one time. Instead of, look, you charge the gas, Lord help us, Jesus. You charge the gas, the gas is already high, and then there's 20% interest on that. Lord Jesus, come on now. You're paying $80 a gallon or whatever. At some point, you have to stop yourself and say, let me start with what I can start with. And then let me give myself a break. Let me not spend the next several years of my life throwing rocks at my past, Blaming myself, I'm going to take the wisdom I have today and I'm going to use it and go forward. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Well, we're, going to, we're going to answer questions. I'm going to take the next 20 minutes or so to entertain questions. We've got some already. And um, Brother Lando, you're back there. Say amen if you are, sir. Amen, amen. I like that deep voice. Sound like a radio man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got questions online, sir. We got any. And then, then we have some standard questions that we put in place for you that you might want to hear the answers to. And if you have questions in here, 
uh, about cash and about debt, anything that I've talked about, you can simply raise your hand and let me know and we'll entertain your questions. So let me start in the room. Is there any questions about anything I said so far? You have any money questions, anything you're wondering about what I said? Raise your hand, anybody at all, before we go to the next group. All right? Anybody, 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 anybody? Okay. Lando, you got any questions for me online before we go to the five questions we have set aside? Yes, thank you, Pastor. Online, we have a question from Latasha Bruce. Okay. What if change costs money? Well, just make sure you change wisely. Don't do all the changes and run out of money and can't continue the change. Sit down, count the costs up, make the change slow, and make the change wisely. I'm going through that process right now. We're making a lot of changes. Church is changing, you can tell. People are home. Last week, hundreds were at home, and a few came in the building. That's all, that's change. You embrace the change, and then you change slowly. So that's what I would say. Okay? Now, we have a list of questions that were sent in. So um, you want to read those questions for me, sir? We got yes. some. Yes, sir. First question. How do you balance the don't love money principle and the sowing and reaping promises? Well, I, I think you balance it by, you know, making sure you appreciate money, value money, but don't love it more than you love God. I, I think you sow and you reap. You sow expecting to reap. You invest in something expecting a return, but you don't let it become your idol, where it becomes more important to you than God. And that's, that can easily happen. I think, that, I think that one of the things that became really obvious to me um, when I, we made the decision in our church about not opening the doors, um, I had to decide whether the money was more important or the people. Well, you know, you know, for a lot of guys, they had to say the money became more important because they felt like the people weren't going to come back. But I think you have to, you have to prioritize. So I, and even in business, you have to prioritize. Are my customers more important than money? I think if you make money the priority and you put it above people, that is not healthy. You've got to sow, you've got to look for a return or a harvest, or you want sowing and reaping, you look, that's fine, but never must it ever surpass people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the balance to me. So I love you more than I love money. And then if we don't have any money, we'll all meet outside and just, you know, stand up. <laughs> you know when the money run out, we'll be outside permanently with no stage. I'll just be talking loud, hey, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. There's the next question, bro. Yes, I have a pastor's question. So okay. How, how can you motivate people to give? Um, I, I think being reliable. I think being consistent. I, I think if you are consistent, if you do what you say you're going to do, and you don't create something that's so expensive that they can't pay for it, which we almost did. You build something that they can't hardly pay for, and then you beg them to give you the money to pay for it. I think a lot of times churches overbuild, overdesign, and they, they start trying to compete with Disney World. They start trying to compete with, you know, Six Flags. And we're not called to be Six Flags. So I think you have to learn how to, you know, dream big, dream, but, and, and I think when you do that and then tell people the truth, one of the things you have to do is tell people the truth. You have to tell people the truth. If you tell them the truth, 
And then you tell people directly, you ask them, you know, I, I need you to help me. I need y'all to give. I need you to understand the power of tithes and offerings. I want you to understand that tithes and offerings were designed so the pastor won't have to beg. That's why, that, that's why it's in there. Every time I see a pastor begging, I say something wrong with the members. Because it shouldn't be that way, unless the pastor agrees. And that could be true, too. <laughs> pastor create, create, you know, I've seen them. They had these big parties, you know. And uh, we've had some big parties, too. We've had some big parties. And, um, and then you sit there, and I'll I, 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 raise your hand if you want me to tell the truth. Raise your hand. Want me to tell the truth? Okay. I didn't see all the hands up. Want me to tell the truth? Okay, good. Tell the truth. So, so we, had a, we had a big party, and, um, and we, we invited some singers, and they sang, and they were singing them songs, shake them shackles off, them shackles, shackles. But when they left, the shackles was on me. The shackles, the shackles, the shackles fell on me because... I just, whoo, boy, that was about, I don't know how much, I think it's about, at that time it was a lot of money for us, 10 or 15,000. That thing, boy, I had shackles on when they left. It was, it was wonderful. <laughs> I'm not putting them down. They didn't do nothing. I did that. We did that. It was a good party. It was a good party. We had a good time. So I think at times, you know, we've had, we have stuff, they call, look, this stuff, 50,000, 80,000, let me tell you, it can be a lot of money. And I've been in churches. I've, seen, I've been there where they're trying to get people to give Brother Orlando. And they're trying to come up with ways. And, and let, me tell you, let me tell you the saddest moment. I've been, I've been in the conference, and they were sitting there. All of them were sitting there, you know. And then the, the person comes in with a little piece of paper telling the pastor what, <laughs> what he received in the offering. And we had thousands of people in this conference. And they, I remember they walked up to him, and they gave him the paper. He just quickened. He just quickened. He was shaking, just like this, shaking. He was shaking. And, and then he passed the paper down, and they were shaking. All the preachers were shaking. They were just shaking. And I was trying to see what the paper said. Cause I, and, then, and they told me, oh, it was pitiful. It was so pitiful. I think everybody gave $2 in there or something. It was pitiful. It was pitiful. And so they got up, and they said, all right, we're going to raise some more money. And, they, and they, you know, they did what they do, you know, and got some more money. But I said that to say, I, I think part of the problem was the party was too expensive. And part of the problem was we didn't think about it on the front end. If it's going to cost so much, ask them do they want to pay for it, and then see if they'll pay for it. But the biggest thing is to live within your means, and like we tell you to do. And I think when people see what you're doing, you tell the truth, and, and, you, and then you, you're not just investing in, in buildings. You're investing in causes and purposes. The next generation is not going to pay for what we build today, by the way. The millennials have made it plain. <laughs> They're not. So we, you have to, if, you, if you go too far, um, the, the problem that a lot of churches are facing is they said, what are we doing? Rather than just meeting. We have to go in and, and invest in a cause. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so I think that you motivate people to give, Brother Lando, by creating the right environment, be telling the people the truth, but you've got to say it to them. You've got to be direct. You've got to say, listen, here's what the Bible says about tithing. Honor God first. First check you right. First check our rights to God. I honor him first. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be Malachi 3.15, meet in the house. When there's provisions in the house, I don't have to get up every day and, and worry about an offering. When I first started preaching, I used to have two sermons. The, the regular sermon, and you got to say something about the money. If you don't, then they don't give. And you remember, I used to have, when you come in the door, we gave you a bulletin, and what else was in the bulletin? An envelope. Oh, make sure you give. And it wasn't until I went to a friend of mine's church, and I saw they didn't do that. And I thought, man, man, what's wrong with them? 
They need to get people an envelope. <laughs> you know, give them a chance. They don't but no, what I learned is if they take responsibility for the money and they feel it's their responsibility, like tonight, I'm not going to receive an offer tonight. You give when you get, go home. Well, you know, honor God with your gift. I'm not, I mean, if this living from week to week for offering to offering is, is, a, is, is a sad way to live. I don't think God wants us to live like that. I think God wants us to have enough resource and tithing and offering was established to, pro to provide that. You wouldn't have to have any building funds or anything if everybody tied. It would pay for everything. In the Bible, what's interesting is they didn't finance anything. They paid cash for everything because everybody understood that. That's how they lived in that, in that culture. I've said enough about that. Hope you got it. What's the next question, Brother Lando? Yes. Should the church's main job be to motivate people to give? No. That's the mistake. It becomes the main job when you, when you overextend yourself and it becomes the main job when it's the main thing that consumes the preacher. I mean, literally, it can dominate everything because you're trying to... It's, and another thing I've thought about, too, which is great lately, as the church grows, you stop pastoring individuals and you start pastoring a group. So you don't have time to be with individuals. And everything is about keeping the machine moving. You got to pay the lights. You got to get the phone done. You got to clean this place. You got to do all these things. How, how do you afford that? The camp this week, I think it was 40000 was the budget for it. Am I right? Sheila, it's about 40000 ish thereabout. Mm -hmm. It was forty five, but they got down to like forty. I mean, hey, I mean, who's going to pay for that? And so if everything is 40000 30000 20000 it adds up real quick. And so it becomes the main focus. Surviving becomes the main focus, holding it together, and that's tragic. That's why you got the pastor who's tired trying to prepare the sermons. You got the members who's tired of hearing about giving. <laughs> and some churches, they got three and four offerings. All that's a bad sign. And I think it's because they, they, their processes become all about that. I, I think that's unhealthy. Churches, and that's why they're dying. That's what I think. It's got to be about a purpose. The money should be the thing we've dealt with, and we move on to the purpose. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. No, a big one. Come on, say amen. 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 All right, what you got, Brother Linda? Why do churches talk about money so much because they broke <laughs> they they the average church spends 30 percent of its income on mortgage debt or some kind of mortgage debt then it spends 45 percent of its income to 50 really really 50 percent on salaries 50 55 percent one study i just just ran across 55 percent now you have to understand this let's say the average church income is a hundred thousand dollars make it fun for you and let's say the church has to pay you a salary. Let's make you the pastor, make you the staff. How much they got to pay you out of that $100,000? How about 10000 I get you to work full-time for $10,000. Any takers? No hands, not a hand up in the room. Not a hand up. Y'all some job. Don't you love the Lord with all your heart? Don't you care about the things of God? Yeah, you say, but you got to eat, too. That's what the problem is. See? See? So if we give you 40000 of that, hypothetically, 45000 somebody say, keep going, Pastor. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to leave some money in the church. Okay. Then we got to pay you. Do, we have to be, do you have to have insurance, too? Can't you just believe in healing, divine healing, get some oil or something? Oh, so you want insurance, too. How many of you want insurance? Raise your hand. Okay. See, I, I can't work with you folks. All right. So you, you want a salary. You want insurance. Anybody want a 401k, too? Yep. Want to retire? Why you, the Lord is your retirement. Jesus will be with you, right? Okay, no, you see, he said, no, Pastor Rick, I need these three things now, and I need, anybody want to raise every now and then? Uh, see, you got a lot of requests. That $100,000 is gone pretty quick. 
See, so if you spend 45%, I'm sorry, 50% of your money on salaries and 30% on housing, you almost broke before you start. So that's why we spend 10%, you see, on housing us, 10% on mortgage, you see. And then we're going to knock that little 10%. But my point is that's, that's the only way you're going to have money. And if you don't have the right percentages, you're going to always run out. That's just a little management tool for tip for you. All right? What you got, Brother Landon? How much wealth is God okay with you having? Hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think he puts a limit on it. I, I, I think we do. By our, our, well, gifting puts a limit on our wealth. You just don't have the, you know, I don't have the Bill Gates gift. <laughs> you see? So gifting does. But I also think knowledge does. Ignorance. I, I saw a guy make $950,000 on a piece of property. I worked a deal. $950,000. I watched him walk out to close it with $950,000. I thought, wow, how'd you do that? Amazing. And, and, and so sometimes it's his knowledge. He knew what to do. Thirdly, sometimes it's who their peers. Your peers limit you. People you're around, they, they, the way they think, the culture you live in, has, has kept you at a certain income level and will always keep you there. The way you process money, cash, debt, living in out of credit shop, going to pawn shop, all, all that stuff like that all, that, all that culture keeps you trapped and will keep you there forever. You don't save. You're going to always be trapped. You get paid, but you don't, you know, you're not committed to a rhythm that will lead to prosperity. So I think that you limit yourself more than God does. But I do think there's a max for all of us. For some people, it's, 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 it's 70,000, 80,000. Some people, it's 20,000, 35,000. Some people, it's 100,000. But I believe that you can get further than you think you can get if you change the way you think, change your definitions. See, that's what we're talking about tonight, right? If you change the definitions, you'll have more opportunities. My definition changes have helped me in my life. And what's interesting is, as your leader, if you have a... <laughs> leader who has a low definition, you're going to have a low outcome. That's why you don't want to follow anybody who's broke. Sorry. You don't want to follow anybody who thinks like that. You don't want to follow. I don't know what they want. You want, you want me to think low? Where am I going to lead you? If, if I, you understand what I'm saying? If I'm afraid, I'm scared of everything, I'm, you know, I'm still staying in, in the Motel 6, I'm afraid to, to go to the Marriott. I'm, I never said somebody took me Sidebar here for a minute. I went to preach at a place, uh, did this a few times, and they took me, um, I can say the city because you wouldn't know who they were, this in Chicago, I went to Chicago to preach, and, I, and the, the guy picked me up in the car and, and brought me, first they called me and asked me would I catch the train. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been a sign to me right there. Would you mind catching the train from the airport? I said, no, what I'm going to do is I'll get a limo to pick me up, I'll, and I'll just call them, and that's what I told them. No, 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 we got to be at Georgia pick you up. George, so George came and picked me up. That's not his name, but he came and picked me up. And when he picked me up, he drove me to this hotel. And I looked at it, and I just looked at him, and I looked at the hotel, and I said, um, and I saw a sign, Marriott, way down the street, big old 10-story. I said, did that say Marriott right there? He said, yeah. I said, tell you what, take me over there. And he got on the phone. He don't want to go where we got him booked at. <laughs> I said, tell them I'll pay the difference. It's, it was on sale. It wasn't much. But, but that's where their vision was, you see. 
And so, so I helped him a little bit. You should have seen him. He was 911. He don't want to stay when we got him. Yeah, that's happened twice. One time, one time I went to Boston, the same thing, and I had an assistant with me. And they got, took us down in the back in the back and, and went around and down into some steps, and it was dingy. It looked like a, like a skid row. It was, I'm not making that up. Now, that was really bad. It was like skid row. And I walked in there, and I said, I said, he said, I said, this is it? He said, oh, yeah, man, this is it, man. We got this all set up for you. And he was as proud as he could be. He was proud of himself. And so my assistant was standing there. He said, please. I could see him in his eye. Pastor Rick, please. Please, Pastor Rick. He had that pastor. I said, listen. I said, tell me something. I said, tell me what's the most expensive hotel that you would never stay in here. He said, oh, my God, the Holiday Inn Crown Plaza. He said, man, that place is $80. It's $80. I tell you what, tell you what, take me over there and then let's see if they got a suite. $110 a night. I said, we're going to get the suite. And so he walked in, ooh, you got big time taste. He said, you got big time taste. Well, it's okay. But see, everybody said, vision. And this year, it does. Man, my time's about up. Got any more, Lando? We, we done for the night? What we I got? have one from Alexander Griffin. Alexander, what you want to know? What's your question? If the Bible speaks more about money than faith, Prayer, prayer, healing, and salvation, how can the church address this? I don't think we need to talk about it more than those things, even though the Bible does talk about it more. I think the Bible is guiding us to faith and pray, all those things you mentioned. The reason those examples were given because they were practical examples that people can put their hands on about the sheep, about, about sowing and reaping. So he used practical examples, not to say that the examples need to become the focus. Money shouldn't be the focus. It was to get you to salvation. So the goal is to keep it balanced. That's the key. So great question about that example. Latasha Bruce asks, life has changed. Since the future isn't guaranteed, how can you plan for it? Use what you got. Use what you have. Start with what you have. I mean, you may not know everything, but you know something. You know you need some money. You know you need some sleep. You know you need to get in shape. You know whatever you need to know. You start with what you have. I don't know everything that's going to happen. The world has changed. Church has changed. Life has changed. But I'm convinced if I, if I work the pieces I have, you know, I always tell you, success comes in pieces. You work the pieces you have, you'll get to a place you want to be. So that's what I say. That's my suggestion. Thank you for coming today. Did you enjoy tonight? Did you really, really? I want to thank all of you for streaming in. Um, I appreciate your, your presence with us, whether you're at home, in the kitchen, or wherever you are. I am convinced that God has allowed you to be with me tonight and that this matters a lot. So to all of you who watched, I appreciate your presence again. And I want to say next week we continue. And I'm going to switch it next week and talk about worship. So Lori and all of you that are watching, I'm going to talk about worship next week and how your definition of worship affects everything in your life. Do you have the right definition? We define gathering as an in-the-building experience, but I believe it's more than that. So let's all stand together. Let's all pray together. Father, I thank you for the time together today. We leave now believing that this hour has been a blessing, and we trust you and thank you. If anybody doesn't know you as Savior, let this be the moment that their lives are changed forever, and we give you all the glory. May they invite Jesus in their life and say this is the beginning. And I pray for their cash. I pray for their credit. I pray for their lives to become more balanced, and I thank you for prospering them in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Hey, listen, it's been a joy. Pastor at OvercomingByFaith.org is my email. Pastor at OvercomingByFaith.org. See you next week, folks. We're going to continue. Remember, this Sunday, we're digital this Sunday. That's 9 and 11. You can see our live digital service. i got a special sermon for you you don't want to miss. We're in a great series that will bless your life. So I'll see you next Sunday on the digital, 9 and 11. Brand new sermon every Sunday. And then remember, on first Sundays is our big old family gathering. Everybody comes together here on the property at 9700 Middle Ground Road in Savannah, Georgia. See you next time. Bye-bye. God bless. If you like this, link it and send it to a friend. Bye-bye. Have a great day.